From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast where we also veer off the serial killer path to delve into other topics within our beloved true crime community. Special thanks to some of my patrons, Marie, Jessica, Lady Janice, Whitney, Rachel, Maya, Alethea, Elena, Katoras, Catherine, Sam, Linda, Katerina, Teresa, Sarah, Sophie, Nanette. I now have three Emmas, Galen, Bree, David, and John. Thank you so, so much. You are truly appreciated. And for anyone else, please feel free to join my patrons so that I can bring you more of what you crave. Also, like, share, and subscribe. It just might make our little community grow. And if you happen to watch on YouTube and also use Spotify, consider watching on Spotify instead as they have been kind enough to sponsor me and we all know how YouTube treats us. But my podcasts are all written ahead of time with a listener only in mind, so nothing is missed. So today's podcast will be a new true crime science where we discuss sexual sadism, what it can be linked to, such as loneliness and some famous cases of sexual sadists. It goes without saying, this one comes with a disclaimer, disclaimer. So what is sadism exactly? Beyond those of us who tease others, calling them one, not really knowing what sadism really is. Oxford Dictionary defines sadism as, quote, the tendency to derive pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from inflicting pain, suffering, or humiliation on others, end quote. Its origins are based on the Marquis de Sade, which I've done a podcast on, and I'll put a link in the notes. Sadism is a psychosexual disorder, which are sexual problems that are psychological in origin and occur in the absence of any pathological disease. They often arise because of physical, environmental, or psychological factors, and at times it is difficult to separate one from the other. Sadism is often linked with masochism. Masochism is, quote, the tendency to derive pleasure, especially sexual gratification, from one's own pain or humiliation, end quote. So, sadistic behaviors are most often inflicted on someone else, whereas masochism is inflicting behaviors on yourself. 
And even though these terms are most often heard together, it is said that sadists rarely seek out victims who are masochistic because a lot of their sexual excitement comes from the victim not being willing. And sadism fits on a spectrum from light sexual play all the way to extreme brutality, which can lead to serious injury or death. And the pain doesn't necessarily have to be physical. They enjoy the mental suffering as well. When the aggressive impulse becomes the number one driving factor, they often push things to extremes with violence. We see this is especially true for murderers and rapists. Looking more in depth, what causes someone to become a sadist? Or are they born that way? According to University of British Columbia psychologist Del Paulus, meanness exists in us all. But he believes there are four, quote, distinct genetic strains, if you will. He described a set of four antisocial archetypes, which are the Machiavellians, the narcissists, the psychopaths, and the everyday sadists. We already know the first three as the dark triad, right, which psychology enthusiasts and true crime fans are pretty familiar with. The sadists were added in recent years. There can be some overlap within these and are believed to have been sort of bred into the human population because these types are quite successful and have an advantage. Del Paulus suggests that sadism may have entered the genetic mix because of the advantage it offered people who could commit acts of social savagery to gain power and control within their group. Quote, Instead of having to hurt a bunch of people, you just hurt one and others view this person as being hurt. Public punishment is very common in human societies. Unquote. He emphasizes that not all are criminals. Quote, they are not people who are under the care of mental health professionals, institutionalized or otherwise. They are socialized enough to know when they can get away with their particular habits so that they can avoid the problems that ensue. End quote. And he adds, quote, they may have some redeeming qualities or Maybe their bad traits are just not extreme enough, end quote. The everyday sadist likes inflicting pain, but typically restrict their impulses by changing up their strategy from physical suffering to psychological or vicarious brutality. He said, quote, they are motivated to get out of bed and find opportunities to hurt other people. And the everyday sadist has lots of opportunities, even more so these days, I think, to enjoy other people's suffering. End quote. You see, hands-on sadists will most often get their stimulation playing sports or such things where they can act out legally. They are distinct from vicarious sadists, and there's a lot more of those because there are no repercussions. You can watch violence on television or film. You can spend the day blowing people's heads off in a video game, which is very common. It is thought that the most common source of sadistic gratification can be found in verbal abuse. That's more like the mean girls type of sadism where you humiliate other people verbally and that's the one that females seem to prefer. 
So we see that, in fact, there can be a genetic component to sadism, but can it manifest in specific kinds of environments people are exposed to? It doesn't take a leap of faith to see that certain experiences during childhood or in early stages of sexual development are believed to be one of the major contributing factors in the development of a sadistic personality. It has also been observed that sadism or a sadistic personality can also be developed in an individual through learning. In an article titled, quote, Abuse in Childhood Associated with Sadomasochistic Sexual Tendencies in Adulthood, written for the site SciPost.org by Eric Dolan. It states that new research has provided evidence that childhood abuse is strongly associated with sadomasochism in adulthood. The findings published in the journal Sexologies indicate that different types of abuse are linked to the development of different types of sexual preferences. For their study, the researchers surveyed 1,219 adults regarding childhood psychological, sexual, and physical abuse. Psychological abuse was present in 58.8% of participants physical abuse in 20.9% and sexual abuse in 10.6%. The participants also completed measures of masochism and sadism. Now, participants with sadistic tendencies responded yes to statements such as, has imagining that you or someone else were causing pain to somebody ever excited you sexually? And, has imagining that you or someone else were tying up somebody ever excited you sexually? The researchers found that a history of childhood abuse, especially sexual abuse, was associated with greater sadomasochistic tendencies. More extreme forms of masochism and sadism are more common among those who had experienced childhood sexual abuse, but not psychological or physical abuse. A person's intensity of sexual sadism or masochism is strongly connected to the specific type of abuse they suffered as children. And of the three types of abuse studied, sexual abuse was associated with the greatest increases in the riskiest expressions of sexual sadism in men and sexual masochism in women. There is also a disorder regarding sadism, sadistic personality disorder, from an article written in Psychology Today titled, The Personality Disorder We Don't Hear Enough About, written by Anthony Smith, states that while this personality disorder is no longer in the DSM, sadistic personality disorder, or SPD, similar to the passive-aggressive and masochistic personality, has continued to be recognized as a legitimate condition by many. Criteria for the condition, which is listed in the DSM-3-R, as a pervasive pattern of at least four of the following having had emerged by adolescence, okay? The use of physical cruelty or violence in relationships to establish dominance, not simply for the sake of secondary gain, like robbery. Humiliates or demeans people in the presence of others, unusually harsh treatment or discipline towards someone under their control, 
amusement from witnessing the psychological, physical pain of others, including animals, has lied to harm, inflict pain on others, operates through intimidation or terror to get others to comply, restricts the autonomy of people they are close to. In other words, spouse must always be accompanied. Children aren't allowed out of the home. Fascination with violence, weapons, and torture or injury. Now, it was noted that people with SPD are often targets of anger and are deprecated by caregivers. It is hypothesized that these children actually feel empowered by the negative treatment. This is because the negative attitudes projected towards them are interpreted as, quote, I have the ability to influence the moods, attitudes, and behaviors of others, end quote. And each such interaction encourages an image of influence or potency. Their perception of themselves as possessing the power of causing trouble spurred these children on to more vigorous action and counter hostility. And this is all fascinating stuff, right? Well, I found an article written by Willem Martins from the W. Kahn Institute of Theoretical Psychiatry and Neuroscience titled, quote, Sadism linked to loneliness, psychodynamic dimensions of the sadistic serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer, end quote. This article is what grabbed my attention for this episode of our true crime science. The article states, quote, In this article, the psychodynamic link between loneliness and sadism is examined on the basis of a case report of the sadistic and cannibalistic serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer. Envy, shame or rage mechanism, a disturbed oral sadistic development, castration fear, and severe feelings of inferiority, the conviction of being unlovable and unacceptable, need to diminish tension, powerful and sadistic fantasies as a consequence of inadequate and frustrated parenting, and reality distortion appear to be involved in sadistic ideology. The article goes on to say that Freud wrote that sadism encompassed two separate disorders, sexual sadism and generalized sadistic behavior. In sadism, the effect on the object, the emotional reaction of the object, is crucial. The specific aim is to cause the object to suffer physically and or mentally, crudely or subtly, Sadism is concerned with the survival of the self. So what unites the two distinct aggressive and sadistic character types is a common lack of a capacity for concern for others, which is a crucial part of a normal development pattern in humans. Three examples of ordinary sadism that is present in everyday relationships are Sadism provoked in children by their parents' need for an idealized and self-sacrificing self-image. Sadism enacted versus another by this same need. And sadism as a means of reestablishing contact with an elusive reality often associated with boredom, moroseness, and or loneliness. 
So Dr. Wolfgang Berner explored the connection between sadomasochism, libido, and aggression using four clinical cases, three of which involved murder. The causes of this severe form of sadism, he concluded, experienced physical and psychological pain in childhood, severe experienced trauma later in life, disturbed early childhood interaction with a less-than-ideal mother, and memories of witnessing violent acts that are later eroticized for the purpose of using them during frustrating situations to stabilize the person's narcissistic equilibrium. The overall suggestion is that sadism is a way to come into closer contact with one's libido as a consequence of a feeling of impotence and sexual failure in normal relationships. And I believe this to be true. Let's take an overview look at some well-known cases. This is where the disclaimer comes in. Andrei Chikatilo was a Ukrainian-born serial killer who grew up during the Great Famine or the Famine Genocide caused by Joseph Stalin to try to stop Ukrainian independence. Andrei slept in the same bed with his parents and he chronically wet the bed so they would belittle, humiliate, and beat him because of it. His father had been pulled into the war and he witnessed his mother have an affair and give birth to a daughter that was not his father's. He also, unfortunately, witnessed his own mother being raped by Nazi soldiers. By the time puberty hit, he realized that he was sexually impotent. This was just the icing on the cake of his feelings of low self-esteem and awkwardness. The only way he could achieve sexual arousal was through sadistic acts. His first sexual act with a girl was by means of wrestling her to the ground, holding her down, and the more she struggled, the more aroused he became. It was the violence of the situation that finally connected with the part of his mind experiencing the sexual pleasure, and he was finally able to finish, if you will. He went on to do nearly unspeakable acts of violence and mutilations and murder on countless victims, including children. Ariel Castro's family had a high level of alcoholism and violence. He would later say that, as a small child, his mother would beat him with belts and sticks. She would not only physically abuse him, but would verbally abuse him and his siblings. And he said, quote, I would ask God for her to die, end quote. He was sexually assaulted by an uncle, raped by a neighbor, and became very withdrawn and felt awkward and less than. In junior high school, he was expelled for sexually assaulting another girl and was known to be a bit of a fighter. He would go on to kidnap three teenage young adult girls in Cleveland, Ohio, then psychologically terrorize, demoralize, and beat them into submission using chains, keeping them in makeshift prisons, and raping them. The girls, who were later freed and spoke about what he had done to them, his behaviors fit the pattern of offending labeled sexual sadism. Jeffrey Dahmer had to have surgery for a hernia he had when he was still a very young child. 
He was raised by a mentally disturbed mother who was in and out of institutions and often on different kinds of prescription drugs, but was more than happy to pass off the effects of her less than stellar parenting onto Jeffrey's father. Both parents abandoned him when he was not really even fully an adult, leaving him completely alone in his childhood home, though when his father realized, he did hurry back. There's a lot more to Jeffrey's story. I'm just doing the long story short here. He withdrew, felt awkward around his peers, and felt an overwhelming sense of loneliness. He went on to murder 17 young men and boys, dismembering them and keeping parts of the remains. Dr. George B. Palermo, a psychiatrist in the forensics unit at the Milwaukee County Mental Health Complex, said Dahmer was driven by hostility, desire, and fear of rejection to commit the slayings. Palermo characterized Dahmer as a sexual sadist, saying, quote, I believe he classifies as a sexual sadist on the basis that he is inferring damage and destruction to other people and enjoying it. Because obviously, Mr. Dahmer must have gotten some kind of pleasure out of doing that. A sadist is somebody who inflicts pain on somebody else. End quote. And then we have Bob Berdella, who was an extremely introverted child and would much prefer to be inside than play outside. He had a slight speech impediment and was diagnosed with high blood pressure while still a child. His father was a very sports-minded man who would belittle and berate his son because he was physically unable to play on a school sports team. His father beat him regularly with a leather strap. He did do rather well in school, though. He became difficult to teach, and his peers stated he acted aloof, a bit better than them. He would be very condescending to his peers, and especially girls. He would go on to display symptoms of a depressive personality disorder, as well as become a serial killer. According to published reports, he was a diagnosed sexual sadist who gained extreme sexual satisfaction from the humiliation, pain, and torture he inflicted upon his victims. He would kidnap his male victims, electrocute them, inject them with various poisonous chemicals, try to electrocute them in a fashion that would render them blind, suffocate them, tie piano wire around their extremities intentionally wanting to cause nerve damage, and so on. He kept partial remains after disposing of the rest of the body. Another example is Dean Coral, and his father never made any efforts to conceal his indifference to sometimes hatred of children. He was terribly strict and abusive toward Dean and his brother, while the mother was protective and loving. Dean was described as a very small and shy child who came across as quite serious. He showed zero interest in interacting with his peers. A rather serious illness kept him from being able to keep up with the other kids during P.E. class, recess, or any other physical activity, and he was left out. Eventually, he was diagnosed with a heart murmur. Dean would later go on to kidnap, torture, and murder teenage boys near Houston, Texas in the 70s. He used ritualistic and meticulous methods of torture, 
one of them being a torture board being utilized. He could tie or handcuff his victims to this board and torture and molest them for days. The more he liked his victim, the longer he would keep them alive and torture them. One of his preferred methods was using pliers to rip out individual pubic hairs. He used glass rods and inserted them into the urethra of his victims, then broke off the end. David Parker Ray was left to be raised by his disciplinarian grandfather. His violent alcoholic father would visit on occasion and would give him magazines themed around graphic sadomasochistic pornography when he was still a young boy. It has been said that he didn't have much contact with his mother. He was a shy teen who was made fun of because he wasn't successful with the girls at school. He went on to sort of use a box trailer to build what he called his toy box, equipped with a gynecological table where he used whips, chains, pulleys, straps, clamps, leg spreaders, surgical blades, electric shock machines, and even saws on his female victims. He mounted a mirror above the table, filmed his absolutely horrific actions against his victims, even allowing his dogs in on the action. A recreated audio recording that he left for his victims to listen to is widely available on the internet, but be warned, it is very upsetting. And he was also somehow able to talk his own daughter into helping him get victims. Robert Hansen, another example, a cripplingly insecure boy with severe acne and a stutter was bullied in school and had no success with girls and he began hating them. He was left-handed, but his parents forced him to use his right hand. His father was a very strict disciplinarian and over-the-top authoritative who made Robert work in his bakery from a very young age. He was withdrawn and the constant bullying left him feeling inadequate. What he was good at was hunting and he won several awards and trophies for his accomplishments. Robert was arrested for burning down a school bus garage and was put in jail where he was diagnosed with manic depression or what we call bipolar disorder now with schizophrenic episodes. It was noted he had an infantile personality and was obsessed with revenge. Later, he moved to Anchorage, Alaska and went on to become a serial killer he would abduct sex workers, take them to his home, rape and torture them, then fly them out into the cold Alaskan bush in his little plane, then hunt them like game, where he would eventually catch them and stab or shoot them to death. But it was the hunt and their mental stress and anguish that he loved most. Gary Heidnick is another one. His mother overdosed on a combination of medications and alcohol when he wasn't quite over one year old because she simply couldn't endure her husband's abuse any longer. His father was an alcoholic who mercilessly beat Gary because he continued to wet the bed well past the normal age range when children would stop. His father would then force him to hang his soiled sheets outside for the world to see. 
At school, Gary was again withdrawn and socially isolated and would even refuse to make eye contact. As the story goes, one girl at school who had meant to show him some kindness asked him about some homework and he yelled loudly at her that she wasn't worthy enough to talk to him. But he had an impressive IQ and went on through the military and became a nurse. He began having mental health issues and was in and out of psychiatric hospitals, as well as trying to end his own life a minimum of 13 times. In the mid to late 80s, Gary began abducting black women, holding them captive in a pit dug out of his basement, and he raped, beat, and tortured them. One of his victims had died from a combination of starvation, torture, and untreated fever. He dismembered her, labeling her arms and legs as dog food, and stored them in the freezer. He would duct tape their mouths, then stab them in the ears so that they were unable to hear. He would electrocute them with a stripped extension cord through the chains that he kept them in. In the pit where he held the women in, he would force one of the remaining women to begin to fill the pit with water, nearly drowning the other victims, and this was sexually gratifying to him. One of his later convictions included involuntary, deviant sexual intercourse. I could go on, but there are just so many. So I tend to agree that the three dark triad traits psychopathy, narcissism, and Machiavellianism that are used in applied psychology and especially so in law enforcement, clinical psychology, and even business management. The people score high on these traits are more likely to commit crimes, cause social distress, and or create severe problems within organizations. Narcissism, of course, displays as a grandiose sense of self, pride, egotism, and a lack of empathy. Machiavellianism is characterized by manipulation and exploitation of others with an absence of morality. They display unemotional callousness and have a high level of self-interest. Psychopathy displays as continuous antisocial behavior, impulsivity, selfishness, callous and unemotional traits, and show little to no remorse. And we know that sadism manifests as the pleasure taken at another person's distress. Sadistic people, again, are low in emotionality, honesty, humility, and agreeableness. They have little empathy, are manipulative, and are hostile and vindictive. There are some who want to include sadism into the dark triad, thus making it the dark tetrad, But others argue that sadism is too similar to psychopathy. So, what's the difference between the two? According to Psychology Today, previous research suggests that enjoyment of cruelty is a central aspect of sadism, but not psychopathy. The violent behavior commonly associated with psychopathy is more likely to be reactive or instrumental, A sadist, however, does cruel things not for reactive or instrumental reasons, but because they enjoy cruelty in and of itself. So tell me, guys, do you think sadism should be added to the dark triad? And if so, why? 
And also, do you think all of the people we study have some level of real sadism within them to be able to murder people the way that they do? What do you think? Leave me a comment below or you can DM me on Instagram at serial underscore killing. All of my contact information is below in the notes. But most importantly, thank you so much, guys, for listening. Because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. And I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Uh, anybody who killed more than two or three people was a mass murderer. And whether it was all at one place or over an extended period of time. And then uh, in the early 80s, they came up with this differentiation called serial killing. <laughs>